Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by Heart and Soul Broadcasting Services. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with Plot Marco, creative entrepreneur and digital creator. If you enjoy this conversation, remember to subscribe, to like, and share. Let's get down to some work. Plot Marco, welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Thank you so much. It's an honor to actually be sitting next to you. You know, your brother is uh, Chad Marco. Yes. Um, what an amazing young man. You know, for me, this is also an opportunity to say, what a, what a beautiful soul. What a beautiful human being. Wow. Are you like him? Uh, I think our mother modeled us in almost the same fashion. So if you meet one, you may feel like you've met the other one. Talk to me about what your mother did in terms of raising up. What did you learn from your mother? Our mother taught us very important lessons. Uh, one of the most important lessons is to be humble and to be sincere and honest in everything that we do and to work hard, uh, never cutting corners. So even if an opportunity presents itself to cut corners, our mother taught us never to follow that route. So those lessons have never departed from us. Even if we've left home and we're now staying on our own, we still feel like we are our mother's kids and our father also gave us the same kind of teachings. But doesn't the world abuse and take advantage of sincere people? The world does, but I think the world has also sincere people that appreciate genuineness. And the world uh, has beautiful place for such people. So you'd find largely uh, the abuses there, but in the rightful places, sincerity does uh, make a big difference. I see it from um, the moment that I left my former employment to get into the creative industry. The kind of ethics that I used there were based on the professional ethics that I learned from work. And it's almost the same that I'm using now from just learning, you know, with the Germans, mm -hmm. you learn, you, you cannot lie, you cannot be dodgy. And those are some of the ethics that I'm also learning bring home. But you'd mm -hmm. find, you know, in a space like Zimbabwe, uh, it's not an easy space if you try to be very honest, <laughs> but ultimately it pays off. Yeah, it yeah. does. You know, you say, you mentioned one thing there that, that I value a lot, and that is you, you, you can never run away from yourself. Yes. You know, so some people say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting this job because uh, they've not been fair with me. But you've not taken the opportunity to learn from that job. And I always say to people that you can't run away from, there, from yourself. We might be in a different geographical setting, yes. but there you are. <laughs> Have you true. dealt with yourself? That's very true. Because you'd find, I mean, the principles of business are universal wherever you go. The ethics, the values, the norms, um, they, they, they apply universally. Mm. And if you default, if you do things differently, you'd find yourself wanting 
So that's what your mom taught you. Your father is late now. Yes, my father is late. What do you remember from your upbringing on your father's side? Well, his entrepreneurship acumen. Uh, we always thought our father was a pharmacist, but he was just a salesman <laughs> in a pharmacy. But because yes, we, I remember Chad saying that. <laughs> yeah. So this guy tricked you. Yes. Thought he was a pharmacist, but. Uh, Oh, it was us believing that he was because he was working in pharmacy. So at school, we would tell our father's a chemist, he's a pharmacist. And how he managed to take care of all of us because we're men of us. And having so many siblings and all being able to go to school and how he managed to set up an enterprise in our village. You know, he had a bottle store, uh, a general dealer, as well as a workshop. And the things that he was doing at that age, if I'm just to look at how yeah, old he was, yeah. and I look at my generation now, and how easy we want things to be, I'm like, oh. So some of those teachings were really important. I mean, for me, he gave me a chance to connect with the community at a different level, mm. to experience entrepreneurship also during school holidays. would go to the village, work in the shop, work in the field, and those experiences you cannot find them anywhere else. Did you enjoy the, it whilst you were doing it? Or you looking back now and say, wow, that was awesome? Uh, working in the shop, I enjoyed. Yeah. Because it looked fancy, <laughs> it felt so good. Uh, but working in the field, I detested it. Yeah. But now I've grown to appreciate because I've seen how my mother raised us yeah. using the proceeds from working on the field. Mm. Yes. Are there any mistakes that you saw your dad uh, encountering that have remained with you? I think mainly it's to do with just um, creating a legacy business-wise where uh, your children are able to really master what he mastered and we carry on with that business. If I look at some of the biggest enterprises in the world, they are family businesses. Mm -hmm. But for us, when our father died, we didn't know what to do with the business. So we just had to rent it out. Mm -hmm. And... Over years, we have not been able to actively revive the kind of business that he'd mm. set up for years. Mm. So I think those are some of the things that, I mean, for my kids, I would teach them my skills, what I know, so mm. that if they do decide to follow my path, they know that, that there is a way. Mm. Mm. I've been wanting to ask you this question since you said that. Why are you based in Dortmund, Germany? So I'm based in, in Germany, uh, Dortmund, because I moved there with my family. Uh, first, what took me to Europe was work. So I was touring, traveling with a lot of artists, creating dance, theater, music productions, uh, Hopman CK, Probis, and a number of other musicians that I've had a privilege to work with. So we were touring, and then I ended up settling in Germany. And for the past eight years now, I'm literally based there, but my heart is home. That's why I'm constantly back in Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. Let's take a helicopter view of what you do. And I don't know where you get the time to do what you do, <laughs> but uh, you're going to share uh, how you do it with us. So you um, you were involved with uh, City Boys, would want to go there at some yes. point, uh, with Haifa. Yes. You set up uh, Chibilika, um, worked with Japraise, Anati O, and Pro Beats. Yes. Uh, you set up uh, Queenda Productions and Mafue International Festival of Dance. Yes. You set up, uh, you're involved with um, uh, promoting youth culture 
and, and creativity through Skate Zimbabwe, Zim Hip Hop Summit and Zim Dancehall Summit. You are involved in fighting for fair competition for the creative arts through Creative Rights Zimbabwe Trust. Yes. You are the chief editor for EA Ground Africa. Yes. You are involved with uh, Amplifier Festival. You founded it in 2022. Have I left anything out? Uh, not really. Some of them are small projects yeah. that come in between, but the, that's the skeleton. Why do you do this stuff? So I just love art. Growing up, music was the soundtrack of my life. So I was surrounded by music. Just a house away from us, our house, uh, lived Emmanuel Vori, who's the general manager at Grammar Records, but then he was the A&R and marketing manager. So he had a disco every weekend. You'd set it up, play music. So he exposed us to so much music. At home, my sisters were listening to a lot of music. My uncles were so bringing a lot of reggae music. And my brother also, and my late uncle, Ashwet Masanko. You know, these are people that inspired wow. me a lot. And just a stone throw away, there was a sound system crew called New Generation. And they were playing a lot of music. And going to school, I would pass through Simon Chimbeto's house, you know. And I was in the same class with his son. And, and there was so much music around me, so much art around me. Watching TV, what I would watch on TV, I would imagine. And, and, and all of these things made me desire to be in the creative space. And when I got a chance to do so after working for five years for Fidelity Printers and Refiners, I decided to set up Jibilika. And Jibilika became the root for everything. So I always wanted to get into the youth culture. I did that. I wanted to get into the media because I'd already studied journalism and finished in 2004, but never got a chance to work as a journalist because there were limited jobs. But, you know, drawing inspiration from institutions like the ones that you set up with AMH, uh, I always desired one day to set up my own media house. Five years ago, I set up uh, Earground Media. And it's it's been interconnected. So at one point, I'm doing this, one point, I'm doing that. But I feel like it's all one story that revolves around the creative arts, mm. the media, and just the passion to contribute towards Zimbabwe. So you were born in Madziwa, yes. um, Shamva. You grew up in Glenview 8. I can almost, uh, as I close my eyes when I hear you talking, describe to me this environment that you grew up in. Um, because, I mean, I grew up in the townships. I had lots of music, but it didn't make an impact on me. Yeah. But you are in that space, and that space is shaping you. Were you fully embracing it, or you're looking back now and saying, this is what happened to me? I was fully embracing it. You know, imagine you're coming every holiday, you're going to the rural areas. And when you get there, there's no electricity much of the time, except at the shop. But you're passing through on the way, just a few kilometers, you pass through the late great legend homestead, Oliver Mtokwins, you know. And you get home, uh, and then you get to work in a borough store as a youngster. And people there are making requests for different kind of songs. So I would feel that there was a lot of preparation that was being done to my life, to my career, that at some point I didn't really consciously know, but at a later stage, it all came to, in, like in full circle. You're joining the dots. Joining it all makes dots. sense. Yes, because when I worked for Haifa in 1999, uh, the way that it happened then, I mean, 
it, it's at times I don't believe it because I had been going to a church at that time that didn't allow me to watch TV. You know, so I'd gone for a year without watching TV, without listening to radio. And there was an opportunity, this big festival was about to happen. They were looking you, for you say working for Haifa yes. was the most transformative. It was the most transformative part. In your life. It was. Talk to me about that. So I worked at Haifa when I was still a teenager, and that was in 1999, the first Haifa. And I didn't know about other artistic disciplines. I only knew music, maybe dance. But I got there and I got to experience comedy, theater, uh, spoken word, and a whole lot of art fairs. And um, connecting with people that I looked up to, the Mateos, the Oliver Mtukunzi, the Trevor, or being able to see them in a real person made me realize that this was a possibility. I could actually be on the other side of the TV. So after working there, I it sort of reignited my design and passion to get into the creative arts. Mm. Yeah. What about Fidelity Printers? I, I didn't realize you worked for Fidelity Printers. What were you doing? I mean, Fidelity Printers must have been paying <laughs> <laughs> more than, uh, you know, what you are getting even now. Well, what, what were you doing at Fidelity Printers? So I worked for Fidelity Printers in different departments for five years. And my work there, I would say, was... Uh, transformative also in a major way, because this is where I got the money to buy my first house. At 23, I had already started building a house. You know, this is how good we were paid then. And when I started GB League in 2007. Don't say that too loudly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, 2007, mm. starting off GB League, I didn't have any financiers. So the only way I had to resell my house to start off the first initiative. So. It's, it's, it's a very important stage. Mm. I, I, at some point, I felt like regretting, but now I don't regret having worked there. I don't regret uh, the investment that I you made. You worked for five years. I worked for five you years. You made the money. You yes. bought a house. You sold the house. You reinvested it into something different. Yes. And what was the thought process behind GB Liga? What, 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 were, what did you have in mind? What were you wanting to achieve? So... Every weekend, whenever I was free, I would see youngsters in my neighborhood dancing. And it, it, it hit my mind that these youngsters are dancing. And then around that time, there was a film called You Got Saved and Saved the Last Dance, right? And I watched these two movies and I saw young people doing some things that I'd never imagined they could do with their hands, with their heads and their feet. And I asked these youngsters why they were dancing. They told me that, oh, we are hoping one day to go to some competition. And I'm like, is there any? They said there wasn't. So I said, oh, why don't I create a platform for that? So the group was called Flip Floppers. And I created uh, a platform that would allow those youngsters and many other youngsters a chance to come and celebrate and dance and showcase their talent. Hmm. Yeah. And when you look now, I mean, is Jibilika still around? Yes, Jibilika is still around. Jibilika will not go anywhere because it remains the roots. Now we are working on setting up Jibilika Hub. So there's still a lot of work being done. We're creating, in the process of actually uh, creating a TV dance show. So what has just happened is we've looked at what has happened with uh, the digital age and how can Jibilika be relevant. Mm. Over five years, we were, seven years, we worked in schools and communities, spoke about HIV and behavioral change using hip hop 
and other youth culture elements under Jibilika. So the legacy is there. Artists that pass through Jibilika, the likes of Jia Fraser, um, the likes of uh, Probits, Nati O, that had their first chance to performance at Jibilika. They're still there. They're wow. global stars. Wow. And so when I look at it, I'm like, Jibilika is still there because I can relate to products and artists that have passed through the work that I've created. We'll take a break here and come back. When we come back, don't go away. We're going to go to the artists that your life has touched, your work has touched. People like Ja Preza, Nati O has said where you're sitting right now. Uh, people like uh, ProBits. Uh, so uh, we come back after the break. Please don't go away. Join us after the break. Our biggest letdown as a country is that we are not documenting. We do not have museums. We do not have proper archives. We do not have proper documentation. Welcome back to our conversation with Plot Marco, creative entrepreneur and digital creator. Um, when we took the break there, we were going to go to the people that you've touched. But uh, why Dortmund, of all places in the world? So I've lived in uh, several places in Germany. I spent two years in Stuttgart, half a year in Munich, two years uh, in 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 uh, Flensburg, and now two and a half years in Dortmund, and in between I've also been to Berlin. So I've been moving because of work. I also had a nine to five while I was doing these projects in Germany. I had it's only until February this year that I decided to stop doing my nine to five. What is what was your nine to five? So I mean I had odd jobs. I had odd jobs. At first, I worked in a graphic design agency uh, because I'm a graphic designer as well. Mm -hmm. So, for, and then I worked for one theater company in Flensburg. Mm -hmm. And then I worked for one gallery, for one youth organization. And then I, my last job, last two jobs, I worked at Amazon. Yeah. You know, wow. like literally packing stuff. Yeah. And from Amazon, I worked for another logistics company that was distributing mm. clothes from like online shops. Mm. And yeah, those are the kind of jobs that I was doing there. You keep yourself, where do you get the time? Where, 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 does it require discipline? I mean, this is a hectic, uh, this is like nine jobs. Uh, I think if you're doing something that you love, it doesn't feel like you are working. So what only felt like work was the actual work where I would go mm. to try and get a paycheck. Uh, but doing what I love, working on year ground, working on Chibilika, Mafu, and all of these projects, it never really felt like work because it's stuff that I love and I've had to learn the skills along the way because much of the training that I got, say, for my media mm. was very basic. You know, mm. of course, I didn't learn much. Mm. You know, we didn't even have a camera. Uh, there was no typewriter. We learned shorthand, T-line, which I never got to use. So the only thing that I took from there were just the principles of journalism, but the rest is things that I've had to learn along the way. Fascinating. You, you, you're compelling me to go to your education and you say something which 
a lot of us don't realize that sometimes we go to school and the education teaches us stuff that we never get to use. That's what you've said about Corsa. So you, which primary schools did you go to? So I went to Glenview Aid Primary School, yeah. it's a council school. And then from then I went to uh, Glenora 2I, uh, where I did my secondary education. And then I went to Royal College, where I did my uh, A-level. And then I worked for TM for five months, six months. And then I started uh, my journalism program. Why journalism? I wanted to be a storyteller. Mm. And that has been... So you deliberately went to Corsa because you wanted to be a storyteller? Yes, I wanted to be a storyteller. Even amongst my friends, amongst my peers, I always wanted to be the one with the first story. <laughs> Why? Because I felt that the world needed storytellers. There's so much that's happening that the world has not had, that is not being told. So I wanted to be the person who would be able to tell different stories, mm. be able to reflect on even our experiences that at times we take for granted because we don't document. Mm. Uh, bigger economies are built on a legacy of documentation, mm. be it in terms of academics, in terms of uh, philosophy and so forth. Countries that have done well in the world, they've written good stories, they've done films, they've done music, everything is well packaged and documented. And I felt that our biggest letdown as a country is that we are not documenting. We do not have museums, we do not have proper archives, we do not have proper documentation. Uh, so a lot of our history is told in a very convenient way because we feel that it starts with us. So everybody wants to start, everybody wants to tell the story in the way that they want. So that age alone pushed me to say, I want to be one of the people that are documenting life in real time and be able to tell the story. Wow. You know, I ask this question from a very genuine, authentic sp space because unlike you, I stumbled into the beauty of storytelling. Ah, interesting. I, I thought I was going to be uh, an academic, an intellectual, uh, oh. but I, I failed in being an intellectual, <laughs> <laughs> which is maybe why I'm telling stories. Um, and I admire young people like you who are so clear as to, I'm going to cause her because... I want to be a storyteller. Are there many people, young people like you, who are so intentionally like you? There are. There are. You know, what I even find more fascinating is that Zimbabwe has so many amazing young people. Um, you know, I was just doing a survey the other day and looking at how many young, intentional, brilliant minds that we have as a country. A reason that, I mean, if you look around that, you'd think, we should not be struggling at any point. Mm. Uh, looking in my space, creative space, at Amazon, uh, Netflix, Universal Music, Sony. Shall we name them? Do we know the names? Yes, I yeah, know no, some please, of the names. Let's, let's name the names. Um, Tapones Kwamavunga. She is the head of uh, director Sony Music UK Africa. She's in Zimbabwe, right? Munyacha Nesa is there in South Africa. He was at uh, Universal Music. Now he's with uh, Empire, which is one of the biggest labels in Africa. Mm. Uh, if you look at uh, people like um, um, 
was just thinking of that, James yes. Manyika at, uh, at Google, AI. at McKinsey, yes. uh, in the forefront of AI, Zimbabwean young men doing amazing things. Mona Lisa Chisango doing amazing things in South Africa. Okay. Um, she's producing some of the biggest show, TV shows on Netflix and also, you know, on Showmax. And if you go to uh, Google, to YouTube, the head of Black content on YouTube is somebody who was raised, he grew up in Zimbabwe, and he speaks highly of Zimbabwe, right? So if you look the world over, you'd find there are Zimbabweans. You watch a movie, you see in the credits, there's a Zimbabwean summer, summer. Mm. And these Zimbabweans are dying for a chance to contribute back to their motherland. So for me, My I My heart at, is singing as you're talking yeah. right now, because I agree with you. They, they, this show has made me come across some beautiful people, beautiful souls, beautiful human beings who, if our politics was right, would be doing even bigger things. And I think in many respects, my hope for this nation lies with people like you, with people like Ryan Katai, with people like Chad Marco, with people like, uh, um, I mean, so many young people Terry. that, uh, Terry, yeah, uh, you know, um, so yeah, I, I, for me, I think that's where my hope lies. Not so much in the politics. Mm -hmm. It's the beautiful things that you guys are doing, the ripple effects of the beautiful things that you're doing. But do you agree with that or you want to push back? No, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I look at my own uh, work and my own example. Um, I built ear ground offshore and digitally and now uh, without praising myself too much, it's one of the most respectable sources for information when it comes to the creative, cultural, and entertainment, not only for Zimbabwe, but now I'm in touch with the international music space. And I look at that, and I look at how many other young people are capable of doing even far better than that. Young people working in virtual reality, in augmented reality, artificial intelligence, and gaming, and so forth. Um, and the potential that they have to create enterprises that could contribute amazingly towards Zimbabwe. You know, it's, it's, it's something that I believe could easily transform this country. Absolutely. We have all the energy and mm. all the talent. Talk to me about Ear Ground. You've just touched on Ear Ground. What, what is Ear Ground? Um, you are the, ed, you are the uh, chief editor. Talk to us about when did you start Ear Ground, what you're doing with Ear Ground. So I started Ear Ground five years ago. Uh, after realizing that there is so much that is not being told, that our digital space was slowly becoming toxic. So the stories that you would be seeing online are very linear and oftentimes negative. And I wanted to create a platform that would uh, be able to document, be able to curate, but at the same time still challenge the status quo and say, we can do better, we can create better. So I developed first air ground looking at what um, Gareth Cliff and Thibaut Touch in South Africa had done. These guys had, 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 had been fired and they decided to set up an online registration. And when they did so, they even challenged the internet, you know, pricing in South Africa and managed to lobby. What is it? Gut Central? What is it? Uh, Cliff, Cliff Central. Central. Cliff yes. Central, yeah. And HD Central. Yeah. And I, I looked at that and I said, in Zimbabwe, yes, we still have a low digital penetration, but slowly we're going to get Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And what presents an opportunity, presented an opportunity was to say, 
There's not so much that is being created digitally that relates to creative content. And there's so much talent that I realized didn't have a chance to actually get seen. And I started blogging. I started writing online and creating different conversations. And ear ground was born from ear to the ground. Mm. Me not being on the ground, I wanted to be a credible source of what's happening back at home. Quality content. Quality con- content. Uh, how, do, you, do you have a team or you're doing this on your own at the moment? So um, my team, I've got a team now. Uh, we started off just me. And then along the way, I had Boaz, King Boaz, mm-hmm. who joined the team. And then along the way, I have my nephew, Tafazo Kambiza, mm-hmm. who is now like, it's me and him who run mm-hmm. the enterprise. Mm-hmm. But we've got a team of uh, at least about 10 people. Some of them contribute on specific things. Mm-hmm. Someone is doing fashion, someone is doing music, someone is doing theater, and some are just presenting. So, so the internet is important for you. This is where we've built the business. A- am I too... Um, gullible to be excited about Starlink or do you see the potential I see? I'm super excited about Starlink because right now I spent the greater part of my morning trying to connect online into the struggle and I could see my data going away but not being able to upload the videos that I had created. So if Starlink comes through, it's going to be transformative because where I'm coming from, what I enjoy the most in Germany when I'm there, it's uh, internet is available and it's almost free. So when you get to a home, uh, visit somebody before, here we offer water. There they offer you Wi-Fi. Password. What's yeah, your password? Password is there or on the fridge <laughs> or somewhere. So because they believe everybody needs to be connected. Everything happens digitally now. Do you think our government gets it, how important the internet is? I mean, I saw the minister make a statement about Starlink. Uh, just this week, and I'm like, do you get it? Do you actually understand what this is all about? I. It's it's it's. A you're being diplomatic. One. I can see you. Yeah. You're super. <laughs> you know how it is. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Is, you know. Um. I appreciate the efforts. You know that are being made. Efforts that are being made by the government, especially when it comes to internet and connectivity and giving access. But I still feel that they may not be in touch with the global context because we are talking of ai we're talking of now we should be having young people in primary school developing applications we should be having young people in university and colleges developing games and programs that actually help make life easier for people that are in agriculture people that are into uh environment in different facets of the economy and we've got this potential we should be having so much of technology being taught to young people and easy access. Our schools should be connected mm. internet-wise. So able... internet is infrastructure. That's the infrastructure. It's, yeah. it's uh, the new roads. It's the new yes. highways. Yes. It's the water that's essential for, for you to be, for you and True. I to be productive. True. And Starlink provides that possibility. It does. I've connected with people globally through the internet. People that I've gone to then meet physically. Yeah. And I've done in business. I've managed to speak to some of the biggest artists on the continent mm. and in the world through the internet. So mm. that possibility, if it had not been of maybe a push during the COVID, I mean, possibly we could still be doing a lot of things in a very conventional Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Jibeliga. Yes. Jab, praise a word with you and not you. 
So I gave Ja Prazer his first chance to perform live in front of an audience. Um, I can't believe that. Yes. Let me sit up. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I gave Ja Prazer his first chance to perform yeah. live before an audience. Um, it's very interesting because every time I meet him, he's reminding me. How did you do it? Manager. How did you do it? So I'd set up Jibilika and we're doing Jibilika schools, dance festivals, going around schools and communities and doing these small shows. Um, and I remember it was in 2008, the second day of Jibilika. And uh, King Alfred, who's in UK, who's one of the most respectable entertainers there, his young brother called General Oliver, they were working with Japanese supposed to the disco sound system, somehow they knew this guy. And they introduced me to Japraza. And Japraza came to my house and I was introduced to him and said, oh, I know, this is the guy who is organizing shows. Ja, you need to meet up with this guy. And he gave me his CD, uh, Sungano. He sat down, we played the video. And he told me, oh, this Marble attend, this is what I'm trying to do. If you do your next shows, can I have a chance? I said, okay, it's fine. And first show uh, we did at Glen VI1, he came through with his Mbira. And I was a bit nervous because other people were not performing with instruments. So it was him and his Mbira, but he performed and people loved it. And then the next time we had Mfako say, yes, that there's a show, there's Ghibli, he comes through. Somebody calls me and says, there's somebody by the gate, he wants to get in, he doesn't have a ticket, his name says he's Jarpraiser. They said, ah, okay, I see him. Gave him another chance to perform. And fast forward, I see him, I turn around, coach, coach, and he says, I'm now with Diamond Music Studios, things starting to take shape. And now he's a global icon. What does that make you feel like? It, it, it validates the work that I do. Mm. Um, it, it, I, I don't take all the credit for, mm. you know, having helped the artist, but just having been part of that journey alone to me says, uh, whatever that I'm do, doing, it's for a purpose, and mm. I need to continue doing that. And Natiwo, Natiwo again, is yes, certain, like I said, yes. is said there, amazing guy, creative. I mean, I really admire his creative process. Is one of the best, is one of the finest. I see him going far. Um, his drive, his thought process is amazing. So Natiwo, I got to know him, you know, when he was still a dancer. He was also at Glenview I1 school. And he was coming through with this group called Spartan X. And uh, they tried by all means to keep him, keep him out you know, musically. And, to you know, keep him keep him out. Yes, they felt like, oh, you know, he's not, he's the weak link. This is what this guy's felt. And I saw his determination. So he was coming to my house so often, you know, dancing and then later on saying, no, I'm not doing music. And over the years, I've watched him grow and become the star that he's become. And I'm happy that behind the scenes, I also contributed. Contribute. Contribute. You know, yeah, mm. we... Recently, we were in Zambia together. We did uh, a tour there, connected with the media there, and he recorded his music there. And yeah, there's so much that's loading. Beautiful. Yeah. And ProBeats? I don't know this guy, so yes. talk, talk, tell, tell me about that. ProBeats is an amazing creative, a creative genius, an actor, a dancer, a beatboxer. Mm. He produces multiple sounds simultaneously with his mouth. He does what is known as beatboxing. And comes, grew up in Umfakose. And in 2010, I brought in a beatboxer from South Africa. It become... What is a beatboxer? So it's when you make sounds with your mouth, like... You know, I can't do it. But it, it, you can produce a whole beat with, with your 
lips, your tongue, your throat, your whole body. And Probis does that. He's, he's magic. Right. I, he's one of my most loved success stories because I saw him at a time when he didn't know what he was doing. He was beatboxing with a bucket. And he transferred from a school that he was learning to come and learn at a school that was closer to my house so that he could see me. And over the years, we worked together. I got him on his first flight uh, to Europe, first flight to the States. First flight, you know, we traveled together as probies. We toured, and I've seen him mature and became become self-sustainable. And now he's one of the artists that I could say lives from his art. Wow. Yeah. We'll take a break. When we come back, I want to ask you what working with these people has done to you, what it has taught to you, but okay. also to go deeper into your other amazing projects that you've done. Thank wow. Job Praiser, Nati O, started with you. I'm, I'm correct, eh? Putting it that way. Uh, Job Praiser had already started, but okay. along his early years. You played a role. I played a, a role, which he acknowledges from time to time. Fantastic. Don't go away. Join us for this amazing conversation with Plot Marco. See you on the other side. We have institutions like Simura that I still feel have not really done justice to our local mm. artists in terms of their royalties, in terms of educating artists and fair representation. Hello, my name is Trevor Ngove, the host of In Conversation with Trevor. I'm here to invite you to join us for the Ideas Festival Conference at the Troutbeck Hotel in Nyanga from the 22nd to the 24th. Last year on December 9, we had a successful launch of the Ideas Festival, where Yvonne Chaga Chaga, Tinyashe Nyamudoka, and Stafford Massey inspired a room full of movers and shakers. So why should you join us? We passionately believe that for any society to develop, it does so on the back of a vibrant marketplace of ideas. We have an engaging program for you and a network group of people in the room. We have an engaging program that includes ideas panels, fireside chats, master classes, an ideas tank, and an ideas dinner. You can't afford not to be in this network group of people. See you at the Troutbeck Hotel in Nyanga. Welcome back to our conversation with Plot Marco, creative entrepreneur and digital creator. Before we took the break, we, I was going to ask you, and I must ask you now, you've worked with all these amazing people, Japraiser, Nati O, ProBeats, you've opened doors for people. What has this journey taught you about yourself? What have you learned from working with these Amazing, talented people. Well, I think what I've learned, one of the most important lessons for me has been that if you leave your purpose, you just focus on your purpose and you do it right, um, then you would have contributed immensely to the world. You know, don't try to do so many things. Uh, do something wholeheartedly and you never know where it's going to take the next person. Uh, I'll give for an example. 
um, an artist by the name of Mambo Duterere, who I discovered um, before he blew up, you know, and he helped push and helped even collaborate with Jar Prazer uh, for his first breakthrough hit, you know. And, and then fast forward, there was Obed Chari also helped him also rise to prominence and he became a star. And now Andrea, the vocalist, was the amazing singing sensation from Victoria Falls who's become uh, a national icon, you know. And, and, and when I look at all those artists and how I've worked with them or helped them in some way, um, I see me playing my role and not wanting to own anyone, not wanting to say, because at most when someone is working in my space, if they see talent, they've seen God, they would want to control it, they would want to own yeah. it and say, oh, this is my artist, I've helped them, so I'm going to keep them, I'm going to manage them. But I've said, look, I will play my part. I'm good with this, I'm good with my media, I'm good with, you know, just strategic thinking. I would do exactly that and I'll leave the rest to the next person. Do you monetize the relationships? Is it transactional? No, it's not transactional. Mm. So I've not made much money from musicians. If I'm to remember, a musician possibly has given me money uh, for what I've done to them, I would say Ferdinandi mm -hmm. uh, and Mark Ngwazi. Uh, those are the ones that I'll just remember of it, who have uh, paid me in appreciation for my work. Mm. But the rest, uh, it's merely helping them. But also, when I make reference to their work, when people see what I've done with them, it then brings me yeah. business also. Yeah. yeah. What have you done with Felinandi? Wow, Felinandi, she's the most amazing musician, female musician in Zimbabwe right now. And I see her going far. And I've been helping her with the strategic management, um, working closely with her management and herself, you know, just sitting down to say, this is what path you need to take and maybe consider this, maybe try this. Mm. And she's listening, she's amazing. And I see her listening to much of the advice. And within the past two and a half years, she's become, you know, a big star, created a band. And right now she's the most sought after female musician in Zimbabwe. So I see where a bit of my contribution has made an impact in her career. What do you enjoy most about what you do? What I enjoy the most is seeing success stories, um, making change, creating stories of change, where I would say, you know, we met at this point when you were like this. And after a year or two, you have benefited, you've become this. I believe that if I am in touch with somebody, if they don't benefit from me, somewhere, somehow, in my space, being in my space, and then possibly uh, I may not be the right person around them. They need to benefit something from me. I need to benefit something from them, but not in a transitional manner, mm. but to say growth. Mm. How do I grow? If our conversation does not stimulate growth, does not provoke us to think, you know, better, we may not need to agree in everything, but mm. we need to be able to challenge each other to be better and do things even much better and achieve more. What do you hate about your space? What don't you dislike about your space? It's, it's not having much of my personal space. So you'd find, um, my phone, I wake up every day, I have a minimum of 60 new messages. Uh, my WhatsApp, my Facebook, my Instagram, my TikTok, there's always tons of messages that are coming through. 
And what I hate the most is the inability to speak to everybody because I would want to respond to everybody. I value everyone who's reaching out to me. Mm. I feel that they're taking their time to reach out to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. I need to communicate You need to, to respond them. to them. Exactly. So at times, not being able to do that frustrates me because after a month or two, and then I bump into uh, someone and they say, hey, I spoke to you five years ago. Like now I spoke to one youngster who I think is the most promising um, pop artist. His name is Prikosh. He reached out to me some two, three years ago when he was in China. I responded to him, but I never really followed up on the conversation. And first of all, Felinandi gets to feature him on a project and we bump into each other. Yeah. We started talking, he's like, no, I know you. I've been wanting to get into your space for a long time. He shows me messages and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I was just overwhelmed. Yeah. Meaning you're busy. I get busy. Mm. Yeah. We had Mono Mukundu here. And you know Mono, and yes. Mono, um, uh, we should play uh, the video of Mono's uh, um, complaining. Um, Music in Zimbabwe, uh, being a musician in Zimbabwe carries a lot of stigma. Even up to today, we are so disrespected as musicians. I remember um, last time I spoke to my Manatsa, the wife to the late six Manatsa, mm. she's also late. And, um, I, and I, I've got the clip on video, I, I posted it on YouTube. She was saying musicians in Zimbabwe are so disrespected and I don't know whether we are going to be respected when we die in heaven or something, because we are so disrespected. So even growing up myself, um, I've grown to be very sensitive to disrespect because of that, because I love my profession. So there's a lot of stigma and, uh, you know, when we started Magdari, I remember I said uh, my father was very much against the idea of me getting into the music industry. Because everybody was, mm. so we get a lot of labels. Even the way even my MCJ, they talk to musicians, it's very disrespectful. What's your response to what Mona has to say? I, I, I agree with him, uh, but I would also add that um, at times you get treated the way that you treat yourself. It's the kind of value that you attach yourself that makes you also at times vulnerable. So right now you'd find artists, uh, a lot of them are struggling. Like he, in his book, he says, uh, poor and famous, yeah. you know, we have many of them that are like that. But you try to advise the same artist to say, look, create structures, be professional, be ethical, do things in this kind of a way because the world over, this is how art is being done. They want to cut corners, they don't want to do contracts, they don't want to speak out and stand for their voice. They feel like, oh, we just have to be very quiet. Mm. But I feel you can still speak without provoking without offending anybody, but still representing yourself. You know, the late legend, William Tukudzi did in so many ways, spoke about many issues, and we relate to those issues up to today. But we find the crop of the artists that we have now, majority of them, they want a microwave life. They want binga in their life. They want to make quick money, and they don't realize- There's that, nothing like there's quick nothing money out there. There's nothing like quick money. You have to work for it. If you get that quick money, you are the product. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You, one thing that you're passionate about, 
in relation to what we've just touched right now is uh, creative rights um, for Zimbabwean artists, artists yeah. fair compensation, copyright protection, uh, and the overall well-being of artists, which would require the artists to be organized. Talk to me about that space. Yes, yeah, so it's a very interesting space because over the years we've seen our artists have been manipulated, mm. artists have been silenced, some don't get airplay, some, you know, even get uh, physically attacked, some artists have struggled to monetize their work. A lot of the artists that are doing Zim dance, that have done Zim dance so in the past years and done so well, uh, they do not own the dashboard or control to uh, their YouTube, Spotify, iTunes. They've either bothered not to understand how it works or they have been uh, preyed upon by the unscrupulous people, especially some of our uh, brothers in the diaspora who saw the light of the internet before us and created opportunities to manipulate some of the talents that we have in this country, which is a very unfair situation. So it is in that regard that we have institutions like Zimura that I still feel have not really done justice to our local mm. artists in terms mm. of their royalties, in terms of educating artists and fair representation, and also you know, institutions that have failed to pay royalties to artists. You know, even the corporates, you find companies have used uh, content created by creatives without compensating them, which is a disrespect to the creatives. So, would they want their products to be uh, used without compensation? They wouldn't they want, wouldn't. but they would take a catchy phrase from an artist. They still do, it, right? So, it's in that regard that me and a couple of colleagues, you know, Marshall Shonai, who's also very active online, Koreas Mumbai, and Chipo Basopo, we created the uh, Creative Rights Zimbabwean Trust you know, a year ago, and we've been working uh, behind the scenes to- Are you getting traction? Yes, slowly, uh, mm. we're getting there, but what we're there to do is to see, let's create systems, let's create structure, so that when we now engage the different constituencies, you know, from the government, the creatives, and any other players that may have to do anything with the creative economy, they know what we're representing, that mm. we're not there to fight anyone, but we're there to help artists professionalize and end from their creative mm. content. Because, or maybe before I go to because, the question to you is, what, it, what is it that needs to be done holistically to change the ecosystem for the creative industry, for the artists, to produce at their optimum, to benefit themselves and to benefit the country? Um, my conversations with artists over the past year or so has, has led me to believe quite passionately that this is an industry that could do wonders for this country in terms of exports, in terms of attracting uh, um, tourists to the country, in terms of earning forex for the so country. Much. What needs to be done? Do you agree with me in the first instance about I, I, the potential I, the industry has? I totally agree with you. I mean, that the industry in Zimbabwe has so much potential. Zimbabwe could actually be one of the leading creative economies in the world. Why? Because we have got the talent. Look at Hollywood, like I've mentioned earlier. Mm. Look at all of these bigger platforms. Beyonce's record, Drunken Love, produced by Brian Soko. Uh, Mr. Camera producing amazing work. You know, and, and from so many facets, we see artists, sculptures. You go to Atlanta airport, you see their sculpt from sculptures from Zimbabwe. 
you know, around just before I came to Zimbabwe, I was in um, Vieten, where I went to a gallery called Shona Gallery, which sells exclusively Zimbabwean art. You know, so it's from Yombira music. We've got an instrument that the world does not have, you know. So we have seen what artists like Dumisani Marare, Simia, may so rest in peace, did, Chuoniso Marare did with Mbira instrument. So there is so much potential that we have in this country, but there are so many things that need to be fixed. What needs to be done? What to be the top three things that need to be done? We need instance? to create systems. Mm -hmm. We need to create infrastructure, right? Systems that enable the creative industry to function. If an artist is to work here or is to bring external expertise into the country, the kind of process that one is to go yeah. through, censorship, immigration, Zimra, and nationalized council, and you pay a lot of money. Why do we put a lot of red tape on ourselves when we still want to improve and learn, right? And do we have institutions or infrastructure that has been built specifically for the development of theater, of dance, of music? We may not be able to find any of good infrastructure, venues, concert halls. Do we have something like the Coca-Cola Dome that can host Concerts. Now our events are being done in sports grounds. So some of these things are a bit problematic. In the 90s, we had many films being made, but today we do not have good quality. And, and yet we have uh, a Minister of Arts, uh, Sports and Culture yes. that ought to be focusing on building that infrastructure and building an enabling environment for people like you and other yeah. artists to flourish. It's, it's, it's a they have a big challenge, and I'm happy that now um, Mr. Nicholas Moy is now the permanent secretary in the ministry because I've seen his efforts uh, with the music strategy, with the uh, film strategy, you know, when he was the director of the National Arts Council. I think now that he has more uh, muscle uh, as the permanent secretary in the ministry, mm -hmm. we may see some transformation. Because look at it this way um, why is it our arts and culture in Zimbabwe are mainly funded by embassies? non-governmental organizations, and less support is coming from the corporate and the government. A festival like Haifa, which had put Zimbabwe on the global map, could collapse and it didn't provoke the government or the, 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 the stakeholders to act. Why do you think that happened? I think Haifa, this is my own take, and, and, and I appreciate Haifa. I think Haifa collapsed mainly because they were getting support for years, but they didn't, didn't build any infrastructure. Okay. So they had to hire out everything that they were using, mm. from even sound, the technical equipment, the venues and everything. But I feel that at some point, Haifa could have had made enough money to actually set up An something. institution? Yes. If my institution is getting money five, ten years, and I don't become self-sustainable, and then there's a challenge. There's a problem there. Yes. Mm. So I think also then there was not so much support from uh, the government towards us. We need to see funding goes to, going towards our film. We've seen what John Jagu, Malaika Mshandu have been doing when it comes to film. They're winning awards. We should not wait until they win awards where they are celebrated out there. This is what we have done in Zimbabwe. We celebrate people only when they are celebrated outside of Zimbabwe. Always. Yes, always. But we have to recognize this talent and nature it at home mm. so that 
We don't wait until the world says these are good for them. Then we, we sit up and take notice. Yes. Now, a lot of the money, we promote more artists coming from outside of the country into Zimbabwe. We pay more money, 10 times the money. But also the challenge comes to the artists that we should be having artists like Winky D, like Japri, like Nati, or making it on the international platform so that we do not cry that, oh, our own are not being paid enough. I am wounded by what's happening to Winky D in terms of uh, um, the way he's been treated. I mean, Winky D again is set on that chair. And I think it's important for us to push back as, ma- as much as you want uh, uh, plot, mm-hmm. that artists are creative people. Mm-hmm. Artists are storytellers. Mm-hmm. And artists should be given the freedom to express themselves. True. And we should not be threatened by a song. <laughs> uh, a song is a song. Uh, if you don't True. like it, you don't like it, you don't play it. But to, to then make pronouncements that result in corporates shunning away Winky D and that kind of stuff, What's your take on that? I think it's tragic. You know, it's it's unprecedented. Things like that should not be happening in 2023. Um, if you look at the history of Zimbabwe, uh, watch one documentary, Bob Marley documentary that is on Netflix. Um, his management says when the government representatives came, when to, to Jamaica to engage Bob Marley to come and perform in Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, they say that the music that Bob Marley was making gave them encouragement during the war. It motivated them. It, it sort of boosted their morale. So if you look at our history in Zimbabwe, music has played a very fundamental role. And uh, Thomas Mapfumo, Oliver Mtukuzi, you name it, artists that have done so well to heal the nation, to create social cohesion, to inspire, to the, inspire nation. the nation. But I feel that um, we cannot be convenient in terms of what kind of music we want. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a self-defeatist. Absolutely. Because our artists should be able to express and express at home and express abroad and express Without abroad, fear. Without fear, no favor, right? As long as they're not infringing on the rights of the next, as long as they're not provoking people into anarchy, maybe we would say, right? But if the music speaks on the reality of what's happening in the country, let that music I mean, I mean remember when um, uh, Thomas Mapumo played the song Corruption, Corruption. Yes. When was that? In the 80s. In the 80s. I might be wrong. Solomon schools are love and scandals. If we had taken, set up a society and taken notice to, to, to the message in that mm-hmm. song, um, maybe we wouldn't be where we are as far as corruption is concerned. So you're right. We can be convenient. We can be intolerant to the message yeah. that's coming from the artists. True. They are telling their lived experience. Am I right? True. I mean, because if you look at the messaging uh, that we think is political in some way, it's the reality. We all live the politics um, and, 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 and in, in different facets, be it at a religious level, at a social level, there are things that are happening. Right now, the drug issue is a big national pandemic. We've seen it affecting, uh, affecting our artists. But artists like Winky D had been singing about yeah. this so many years ago, and they still sing about that. So I wrote an article on Winky D in 2011, mm-hmm. and I've had the privilege to interview him before. Um, 
you know, and I remember as back as 2010-2011, what he was seeing then, if you look back through his catalog, nothing has changed. No. He's been consistent with this message. We have to round up. Let's round up by going to um, your latest project, Amplifier Festival, which yes. you founded in 2022. What's happening there? Well, Amplifier is the biggest machine that I'm part of. I think it will take much mm. of my time and possibly see some of the other projects fall on the wayside because uh, me and my co-curator for the festival, uh, Kwani Mazan, was amazing. We have developed Amplifier as an incubator for Africa's next biggest stars. So Amplifier is a festival where we say, look, why are we having these emerging artists not getting a chance to be seen, to be heard? Why don't we have those that have made it, these, the supporting acts, and then those that are emerging become the, you know, the headliners. And we did that last year. We brought together 40 artists from, you know, nine provinces. And wow. we had, uh, you know, a two-day festival, which was quite successful, first day workshops, trainings. But now the next chapter is Amplify Africa. Mm. And with this Amplify Africa, it is a creative and a business conference in it, where we have some of the biggest institutions that are working in the creative arts coming in, to have conversations, to exhibit products, to challenge uh, the future and showcase what could be possibly uh, possible mm. through the creative industry. And also having a music conference, a music festival that will have some of Africa's next Davidos, the next Benabo, wow. the next Jalpreza wow. on one stage, the next Pelinandi. So that's how we're developing that festival. And right now uh, it's taking much of my time and much of our time just developing. When is, when is it happening in 2023? It's happening in 2024 in October. Okay. Yeah, end of October. Yeah, that's Wonderful. where we're, we're doing it. We wish you the very best with Thank that. You so you, you've um, received a number of awards. Uh, the National Arts Merit Awards. Uh, nominated three times. Nominated three times. Yeah. Uh, Mandela Washington Fellow, which is a very, very big one. Yes. Um, and uh, you're part of the Yali um, um, in, in, in initiative. Yes. What does this mean to you? Uh, for me, these were sort of transformative chapters in my life. Uh, getting a chance to meet Obama, you know, was one of the major highlights, it remains one of the major highlights of my life. And it was through the Yali program. But when I started doing uh, social innovation work, it was through the one of the exchange programs, mm. you know, the US Embassy called uh, Hip hop and uh, it was an international visitors leadership on hip hop and civic uh, engagement, and I saw how in America they're using hip hop as a tool to transform lives. Mm. And I came home. I said, our biggest challenge here is drugs and HIV, and we started dealing with that. So, and I've been part of the International Society for Performing Arts as a fellow and as a speaker, two years. Um, to different years. And, and for me, what it has done, it has created a network on a global level. It has uh, sort of boosted my profile, but at the same time, this has been my university. I never got a chance to go to uni, which wow. I always wanted. And I feel that having been through part of these programs, I've graduated a couple of times. And also through real life experiences, it is also helpful. Who needs a university when uh, life teaches you more than a university? Sure. I'm going to put you on the spot now. Mm. You didn't expect this question. 
do you work with Chad? Because if you don't, you're losing out. I mean, that man is uh, is 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 just uh, blows my mind. Do you work with Chad at all? I do work with Chad. You know, we're trying to set up an enterprise together, but Chad is like that brother who, when he speaks and says something to me, um, he, he doesn't always agree with me. He's challenging me business-wise, and I would say, the bit of the business side of my work now has been as a result of Chad. It's been very transformative. He comes through, he sees things, even in terms of content. He's one person who calls me and says, that post that you put on Eagle, a personal post, oh, it doesn't really do with your brand. And, you know, seeing him on your show, watching him, you know, speak, uh, for me, it was like, wow, it's possible. And yeah, so I do work with him. Do you time. work with Chad? I'm going to be working with you more. <laughs> I'm putting I'm you on the spot. Yeah. Wow. You know, talking to, to you uh, and, and to Chad, like I said, you are the people in this generation, clean, principled, full of integrity, um, humble people so. that are going to change this country. I've given up on politicians. I, I'm, 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 I'm seeing our future in the ripples of the work that you're doing. Thank you so so keep on doing what you're doing. Um, very, very, very inspired by what you by what you're 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 doing. What, what three books have you read that you'd want to share with our book-loving audience? By the way, we, we didn't share books with, uh, uh, with Ted, uh, Ted Marconi, and uh, I, I, I got a lot of criticism. Apologies out there. Uh, we won't do it again. So you, you're on the spot. How many books can you recommend to us? Wow. I would recommend Rich Dad, Poor Dad, hmm. Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, this is the book that got me to leave my former employment. Really? Yeah, in 2007. Yes. Um, I read the book and I got it from my boss, actually, Hadon Zwenga, you know, and, and, and the next Can I tell thing, you a secret about that book? Yes. I've got it. It's turning yellow. I've not read it. Wow. I can't read it. I don't know why. You need to read it. It's I amazing. need to read it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I've read a couple of Robert Kiyosaki books, but that one for me was really one of the most powerful why? books. Why? Why? Um, I think because it, it gives a very practical approach to enterprise. Okay. And it gives it in a very basic form where you learn certain things that you would ordinarily, ordinarily need to get into a school to learn. But it just gives you very basic, simple examples mm. of, oh, okay, you know what, you can do this. You know, you made a business with magazines, instead of distributing this. Like, very relatable. Interesting. You can bring it home. Interesting. Yeah. Which other book? Second book? Uh, Poor and Famous by Mono Mukundu. Really? Yes. <laughs> Why? Because, I mean, I realized that for the greater part of my years in the creative arts, I'd been poor. But I was building a name. And I was not focusing on the name. And I felt like, oh, okay. I was not focusing on the money. And... After reading Monom Kundu's book, it challenged me to say, wow, you know what? I need to start thinking of how best I can actually create an enterprise from mm. my skills, from my talent. How old are you, by the way? I'm 41. 41. Yes. Mm. About time to, hey? It's about time to. And I'm happy that now I'm now on that path. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the third book? 
Uh, Prisoners of Jebs by Ken Sarawiwa. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, this is a powerful book that I think somehow reflects uh, on so many of our chapters in Zimbabwe from a political perspective. Prisoners of Jabs. Yes. It's a very powerful read uh, with a lot of satire in it. Mm. So when you read it, you don't feel it does, it's not too serious. But at the same time, it speaks of very serious is, uh, yeah. things and mm. very relatable, like mm. so many. Uh, and now, you know, I keep reading this book. Uh, I got it in the village, you know, from uh, a nephew of mine mm. and and it won it as a price and I've read it for years. I lost it and then I bought it online again. Tell me, you've done so many things, you continue to do lots of things. Yes. When you look at your life, is there something that you've done that you'd want to press the rewind battery and a button and redo again? I think... Uh, I wouldn't really say press the right because every experience has been a lesson. I've had too many flops along the way. I've done events that have costed me where my mom had to chip in and give rescue. away. Rescue you. Res- exactly. Rescue me in so many ways. Um, if I were to do something different, possibly take away, rewind and take away a bit of that stress that I gave her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I'm happy that I look back and say, I've got my valuable lessons from this experience, that experience, that experience. Mm. And life spoke to me. What, what has been your biggest flop? Well, I've done so many major flops. I think the biggest flop was in 2011. And there was also a moment where I almost stopped what I was doing. So I had dance groups that were coming in for Battle of the Year, which was a major competition that we were hosting here, an international one. Uh, Western Bell of the Air Africa, and there was problems with clearance of the artists that were coming in, and immigration deported the dance groups that were coming from other countries. And that very same year, I was traveling with a group to France, first time in Europe, and we missed our flight at Oratambo. And I ended up traveling to France alone without the group. And coming back, there was a lot of bad publicity. So I lost all the fundings that we were getting for all the projects and my name was sold. And then it took a lot of work for me to redeem myself. How did you redeem yourself? So I got a chance from uh, the U.S. Embassy. So I remember going for an interview for an IVOP program. And they said, we've got this opportunity, but why do you think we need, we should give you this chance? You have messed up, you have done this and that. And I didn't know that they had done bring background check. <laughs> so I remember speaking to one lady, Jillian Bonadu, my respect so much, said to me, why should we give you this opportunity? And I didn't have any chance to even lie. You know, it was so impromptu and I sweated, but I just had to tell the truth. Said, if you give me this opportunity, I'll come back and transform the work that I do and the communities that I work with because I'm doing what I'm doing from my own experience and learning by experience. But if I get a bit of training, I think I'll come back and do things differently. And I went to the States, I came back and I did that. Wow. Yes. Wow. What a life, an impactful life uh, uh, plot. Um, Thank you so much for coming through. I've really, you know, I learned so much from sitting across uh, amazing young people like you. Uh, Keep on doing what you're doing. And we're watching you. Um, We're watching your space and we wish you nothing but the best. And thank you so much for inspiring me in so many ways. 
uh, you're one of the people that if I'm to list uh, three people that inspired me to get into the media and do what I'm doing right now, I would have you as one of those three people because of what you've done uh, in the past with AMH, what you did with the Melian Garden, and, and, and still came back to Zimbabwe. Now you're contributing towards uh, the media space. And now we're in the digital age and I see Art and Soul and what it's doing. I'm like, this is amazing because a lot of people struggle to evolve from uh, the traditional way of doing things now to get into the digital and you have managed to do that and you continue to impact. And now you've got this amazing international platform. I am blushing. Channel. Stop it. Thank I'm you. blushing. <laughs> Thank, thank you, you so amazing. much, uh, Plot. Thank you very much. Uh, wish you the best, and thank you for your very kind and generous words. I am blushing, and when I blush, I turn a bit grey. <laughs> uh, Plot, thank you. Allow very me to tend to our viewers. Uh, thank you so much for your support. Um, remember, we are a weekly show. Quality content uh, out on YouTube, 7 a.m. Central African time. Uh, to ensure that you don't miss out on any of these quality conversations, remember to subscribe, to like, and to share. We read all your comments. We try and respond, uh, so keep them coming. We've gone a step further and built a website where all our content sits, including podcasts. Go to our website uh, and click on the uh, podcast for your listening pleasure. Until next time, cheers to you all.